Hello everyone. Just want to take a quick moment to welcome and thank some new patrons to the Dissonance Media Patreon. I haven't had a chance to do one of these for a while. So thank you to Rhiannon, Elizabeth, Andy Coffey, Dave Baxter, Oni, Nasha Horn, Dreadbull, and Chris Jashens. Big thank you to you all. It means the world to me that you'd support my projects. Big thank you to all of the ongoing support from all the other wonderful patrons that are still there and all the new Apple Podcast subscribers as well. I'm very humbled with the generosity. If you would like to support The Night's End or any of Dissonance Media's other projects, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. So happy Halloween, and I hope you enjoy this last episode for the spooky season. Stay horrific, everyone. arrived. Halloween, they call it. The night of masks and mischief. They parade around in their costumes, pretending to be something they're not. But I... I don't need a mask to hide my true self. The world sees me as a villain, a creature of nightmares, and they're not entirely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Halloween's a time for children to seek thrills, for adults to indulge in wicked fantasies. But what about me? I've lived a lifetime of horrors, and every day is a dance with the devil. The screams that echo through these stone walls, the agony that pierces my soul. That's my Halloween. Never-ending nightmare. Oh, how I long to be back in the cave. That desolate, hidden sanctuary where darkness was my only company. Apart from my friend. Wherever they are. In the cave, there were no chains. No judgment. No stranger to torment my soul. Only stories, delicious stories to devour. I will get out of here. The horrors persist, but so do I. Last tale for now, a special one. Wrapped in Plastic, written by Robert P. Atone, performed by Phoenix Fire. Lauren Kong, Glenda Villamar, and James Barnett. (laughs) 
David didn't know what to make of it at first. 30 years on the job. Never seen nothing like this, David said, wiping the sweat from his brow. It had been an uncharacteristically warm fall. Not in all my life. The others had walked over to stare. He didn't know why they would. Human nature, David guessed. These things don't happen here, Brody said, fingering the silver crucifix around his neck. Save that cat that time, Kelly said, adjusting her glasses, bending over to get a better look. Remember? Some piece of shit put a kitten in a paper bag and threw her away? How is Waffles? Brody asked, turning away, clearly no longer interested in being a looky-loo. David knew that naming the rescue kitten, Waffles, was a risky endeavor, but he didn't care. Certainly not when it came to Brody, whose opinion he valued even less than the three-year-old tabby that greeted David at the door each night when he got home from the dump. Doing just fine, David said, eyes on the foggy cellophane bag at their feet. When the trucks dumped their refuse that morning, David was doing his usual inspection when he noticed the cellophane bag sitting a good ten feet from the nearest landfill. Confused, he walked over and prepared to toss it onto the mountain of trash before him, but froze when he got a closer look. Someone in the cellophane bag stared back. Ants crawled around inside the bag, skittering across what was the apparently untouched face of a beautiful young woman. Her lips were painted a light shade of green, and a large smear ran across her cheek. She wore light makeup around her eyes and had the faintest hint of freckling across the bridge of her nose. Other than her head, the rest of her body was missing. The bag shifted in the breeze. He knelt down for a closer study. The bits of meat that peeked from within the stiff cellophane bag made David's stomach lurch, but that wasn't what pushed him over the edge. She was smiling. We're going to need a record of everyone who was in and out of the depot since yesterday morning, the detective told David. As foreman, it was his responsibility to provide these things to law enforcement. David didn't mind one bit part of the job. These things aren't supposed to happen here, Brody repeated. It was as if he'd rehearsed his outrage, playing a part, saying what he was supposed to say. They were now in the can, the portable office that had been set up years back and never dismantled. The simple crucifix dangled from his neck, occasionally catching the light, casting offhand flashes on the walls. David used it as his home base of operations once he became foreman and was able to keep the space long after the renovations of the main building had wrapped construction. Best if you all go home and get some rest, the detective said. David was surprised at how young he was. Couldn't have been more than 25, with long hair and a scraggly beard that couldn't possibly be regulation. The crime scene unit had already gathered the woman's head and samples of the dirt from around where David had found her. Now they had finished. It was like she hadn't been there at all. But David could still see her pearly whites, glowing a kind of radioactive white. 
While Brody refilled his Yeti tumbler, David thought for the briefest moment he saw her resting on the file cabinet behind the water cooler, eyes wide, smile wider. David shook his head involuntarily, blinking his eyes a few times. You gonna be okay, boss? Kelly asked. She gave him that concerned look, doing that thing where her eyes looked like an abandoned puppy. David nodded. Maybe I'll stop by later and bring you some homemade chili? Been on the slow cooker all day. I'd be happy to do it. Kelly had often dropped off dinner for David, especially after his wife passed three years back from cancer. She was half his age. David knew she did it out of kindness, not out of romance. He appreciated having someone look out for him now that Deborah was gone. You know, chili sounds great, David said. Thank you, kiddo. Kelly smiled and patted David on the shoulder. She ducked out the door. Brody stammered his goodbye and followed after her. The darkness came early while David sat, trying to shake the woman's smile from his mind. Sitting in the dark, head hanging low, David sighed and felt an invisible weight drag him down. He looked around the room, the four walls decorated with inspirational posters that came with the temporary structure. Pictures of mountains, puffy, cotton-like clouds, a photo of a track runner sprinting across the finish line, torn ends of tape on either side of his raised arms. The dying light of the evening had begun to cast the office in a swath of shadow. He looked around the room, shadows and darkness to greet him. Nothing beyond that. He rose and started for the door. I wanted it. David froze and turned on his heels, doing a 360 scan of his surroundings. The fake wood paneled walls grew darker with every minute, and he could see dust dancing in the fading evening light beams from outside. He was alone. Back home, Waffles greeted David at the door per usual and he scooped the tabby into his big hands and carried her into the kitchen. She purred and rubbed her face against his chest. David smiled, the first good feeling since he'd found the head. He genuinely loved coming home to the cat each night after work. A long day at the dump, followed by an evening of watching Shark Tank with his cat until he fell asleep in his Lazy Boy. That was all David hoped for. He tore open a can of wet food and placed half onto a tiny white plate beside the pantry. He carefully wrapped the remaining half of the can into plastic wrap and couldn't shake the image of the woman's smile from his mind as he stretched the plastic over the top of the can. The meaty brown cat food looking almost vulgar after what he'd seen earlier that day. Hmm, gnarly. David said to himself as he placed the can in the fridge. It was largely empty, other than a carton of coconut milk, some coffee creamer, and a half-empty Chinese food container of pork lo mein he meant to toss into the trash two days earlier. Waffles was busy with dinner when David stepped to his favorite spot in the house. 
The matching Lazy Boys he bought for him and his wife Deborah hadn't moved since she passed. David sometimes thought about shaking things up and sitting in his wife's old chair, but he never did. He could still see the indent of her and smiled to himself remembering her laugh when they watched Mel Brooks movies or a rerun of All in the Family. Waffles would sit there sometimes curling into a ball, but not often. It was as if the cat somehow knew the chair waited for someone else, waited for Deborah. David thought that maybe his wife was already sitting there. He wasn't a spiritual man, and he never talked to Brody at work about religious matters. Even though he knew Brody was a hardcore Bible thumper as David ever knew. When he touched me, it all went away. David turned, expecting to see someone standing in the doorway beside him. The living room was just off the main foyer of the house, and he imagined someone had snuck in after he got home. But there was no one. His heart beat fast, a small pain in his chest, getting too old for that level of excitement. This is it, Waffles. David said, loud enough for the cat to hear him in the kitchen. I'm officially losing my marbles. Waffles stopped eating and looked at him, as if saying, Yeah, but as long as you keep feeding me, we're good. He shook his head and flipped on the television. His fingers found the small remote attached to the lazy boy, and with the light press of a button, the legs of the chair began to rise. Soon... He was in his favorite position. Mark Cuban and the rest of the sharks were bidding on a wicker furniture business and soon, David was asleep. In the darkness, teeth, wide, white, smiling. David knew it was a dream, but the crinkling of the cellophane bag made David's skin crawl. You want him to touch you too, the woman said. The smile remained. When he touches you, it all goes away. He fills you with a beautiful, warm glow. In the dream, David suddenly realized that he too was just a head, floating in oily darkness, staring at the woman, her translucent death shroud beginning to slip from her face as he spoke. It's like falling in love for the first time, she said. David remembered her eyes in the bag. They were wide, as if staring at the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen, not wanting to blink, wanting to drink in whatever it was she stared at so much that she somehow allowed herself to be. Given a gift, she finished. David stared at the woman, her smeared lipstick, the light trails of eye makeup down her cheeks, the bloody viscera that dangled from where her neck should be. The doorbell bolted David awake and he dropped the remote. The plastic clattering of the clicker almost shocked him more than the chime that continued in the house. Shaking the cobwebs loose, he remembered that Kelly would be stopping by with the chili. He looked over at Deborah's chair and thought for a moment he saw her impression shift. He shook his head, 
realizing that it was nothing more than the glow of the television reflecting off the fabric. Coming, Kale, David shouted as he hit the button to lower the Lazy Boy legs, then rose and stepped toward the door. Waffles was asleep on the upstairs landing when he entered the foyer. David flipped the light on outside on the porch. He opened the door. Thanks again for stopping by, Kelly. It's awful nice of you to... There was no one there. The light breeze of a strangely warm fall night greeted him. Sighing, he stuck his head out the door and looked around. All of his neighbors seemed to be home. The neighborhood looked painfully normal, as it always did. David thought maybe he was hearing things, that the bell didn't ring. But when he closed the door and took a step toward the living room, he froze when the doorbell sounded a second time. Son of a b- He muttered, turning around and storming quickly to the door. Some kids playing ding-dong ditch were going to get a piece of his mind. Pulling it open, he stepped out on the porch, expecting to hear the telltale sign of Kid messing around. He thought maybe he could spot them in the bushes off to the side of the house, but there was no one there. Listen, if anyone's out there, cut the bullshit, okay? You have to want it. The woman's voice sighed off to his right. He turned and stared. Bushes and trees divided his property from his neighbors. Ugh, shut up, he grunted, more annoyed than scared, turning back to the door and stepping into the house. He slammed the door hard and felt bad when he saw Waffles jolt awake in fright. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. Go back to sleep. The cat stretched and yawned, flashing her sharp teeth. Waffles shook her head and tucked herself back into her paws. That a girl. David smiled, turning back to the living room. When his eyes fell on the television, he froze. It was the woman from the dump. But all of her, her entire body, not just a head in a bag. The news was reporting the discovery and showing pictures from when she was alive. She wore the uniform of the local supermarket, and David wondered if he'd maybe passed her by hundreds of times during his weekly shopping, as bare bones as it often was. She was young, 19, a student at the local university, according to the report. David stepped closer and sat slowly in his lazy boy, unable to take his eyes off the screen. The news displayed her name. Susie Bennett. It comes from inside, the voice whispered. This time, David didn't turn. It sounded as if the woman was speaking to him directly from the television. She wasn't a woman anymore. She had a name. Susie. 19-year-old Susie. <sighs> Just a kid, David sighed. I knew what I wanted. Another whisper, so close to David's ear, the hair on his arms stood up, and a tickle ran down the back of his neck. Only Deborah ever got so close to him that he'd feel that way. Ugh, stop it, 
David shrugged, brushing the nothing that was around him away from his ear. Just stop. It comes from desire. The voice said. It sounded all around him, from every corner of the room. David sat and looked at his wife's chair. He was often overcome with great feelings of sadness when alone in the house. The home that he and Deborah worked hard for. Worked hard to enjoy the few memories they made over the years. The trip to Venice two years before she got sick. Their honeymoon in Cozumel. Their first night in the house, making love by candlelight because the power company hadn't turned on the juice yet. These thoughts, these memories, played over and over in David's mind, night to night, the past three years. In those moments of despair, he felt a great darkness come over him. Countless times, a voice calling to him, sounding far off, sounding so distant that it almost didn't seem real, and yet now, by the light of the television in his own living room, David was hearing the voice as if it were right beside him. He knows what you want. He can't, David said, eyes welling up with tears. David turned and saw a shape in the corner of the living room. The light from the television flickered, casting a gray cone outward, but beyond that, David knew what he was staring at. <laughs> Deborah, <laughs> he whimpered, his emotions overwhelming him. Rolling off the chair, on his knees, he crawled toward the shape in the corner, the blotch of shadow that somehow became an approximation of Deborah. She was there. She wasn't there. David couldn't take his eyes off the shadow as it took a slow step toward him. <laughs> Please, he said, staring into the darkness. Her shape was all he could see. There were no discernible features, just a black, deep expanse where form should be. He extended his hand, and slowly, the shadow reached out to him. As his hand grazed the shadows, he became overwhelmed with emotions. There was a tightness in his throat, and he swallowed hard, pushing the emotion back down, deeper, hoping to conquer it. His eyes went wide, and he wouldn't help but smile as he saw Deborah take form before him. The following morning, Kelly arrived, a large Tupperware container under her arm. She locked her car and walked up the path to David's front door. She rang the doorbell, then knocked when no one answered. On instinct, she trod the knob. Kelly spotted Waffles on the steps, staring at her. Hi, kitty, Kelly said as she entered the house. Hearing the television, Kelly turned and her eyes went wide when she saw what was left of David. The scream tore from her throat and she dropped the chili, which exploded all over the wood flooring of the foyer in an eruption of red, meaty deliciousness. David's head, wrapped in plastic, 
and he was smiling. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast Halloween Special 2023, a production by Dissonance Media. Wrapped in Plastic was written by Bram Stoker Award winner Robert P. Atone and is featured in his new collection, Wrapped in Plastic and Other Sweet Nothings, released on October 27th, 2023. To purchase this amazing collection, head to the link in the show notes. Also available from Robert is Curse of the Cobb Man, published by Weird House Press. Narrator and David were performed by Phoenix Fire. Dead Girl was performed by Lauren Kong. Kelly was performed by Glenda Villamar. Detective and Brody were performed by James Barnett. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. The Night's End Halloween theme was composed by Duncan Muggleton. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. Stay horrific, everyone.